Well, the Patrick Kane era, Molly, didn't start off with a bang. You happen to miss what I called the biggest show maybe we've ever had, but Larry said it wasn't because you weren't on. So very nice thing from him. Larry will join us. Emily Kaplan from ESPN will join us. We got a busy show coming up here. Lots to talk about. I, I apologize for not being able to be on the show last week in the Patrick Kane debut, uh, but we'll get into all that more shortly. Larry Brooks, Emily Kaplan, Molly Walker, Jake Brown. We got a busy edition of Up in the Blue Seats, and it's coming up next from the New York Post. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to Center Ice for a special presentation. Welcome back to Up in the Blue Seats, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown here alongside a Rangers beat writer for the New York Post, Molly Walker. Later in the show, we'll be joined by ESPN NHL reporter Emily Kaplan. But first up, we got our Hall of Famer Larry Brooks here with us. He is at Rangers practice now. Molly is playing hooky today. Hey, hey, I have a flight to catch. <laughs> Molly has to go eat some poutine and uh, <laughs> for I know, I know. Look, Larry, this is the benefit of having two. I mean, we're we are so spoiled compared to the other beat writers. We get to to do this and, and get away with it. So we're we're not complaining. We're not complaining. Not complaining. <laughs> Well, you guys are doing your thing, and Keandre Miller is making his return on Thursday, and the Rangers need him. Larry, uh, what's your impression here of the first couple of games of Patrick Kane? Uh, no goals, a little underwhelming, but still early, and now getting his first uh, road trip here with the Rangers. A little underwhelming. Very <laughs> underwhelming. It couldn't have gone more poorly for the team in the first two games, honestly, but they're throwaways. I, I, you know, that's the way I look at it. They, you know, you look at the throwaways there was so much chaos um so much disruption even to the point where the head coach finally yesterday admitted that you know the, the last two weeks were pretty nutty uh they were playing shorthanded they, you know so the first two games i think were you know are just a wash you you, you know you kind of start now and a couple of practices here three and four on the road they're all going to be tough i mean you know you're looking at montreal on Thursday is almost a must win for a team that needs to start putting points on the board. Islanders are five points behind. I understand there's game as a hand, but you have to win those games in hand too. So the Rangers are going to need to start putting up points. They're going to need to start winning. Um, I think Keandre Miller coming back is, you know, is, is important. It, it gives them at least one of their top two pair. Um, Ryan Lindgren, I, I, I'd be surprised if he doesn't play at all on this road trip. I think he'd probably come back on this road trip at some point. So they need to solidify their play away from the puck as much as their play with the puck. I think, um, you know, I think we'll see over the next three games how these lines work. I think, you know, the anticipation is that Panarin and Kane will figure it out. But I also think that there's no reason to be married to the concept of Kane and Panarin. If, if it's just not working, and we've seen this coach is, you know, throughout the year doesn't hesitate to make changes. So I would say these three games are are a window into what the rest of the season may look like if the line combinations work. They need to, they, you know, they need st some stability here. And, and I think from here on, they'll they'll have it. They'll have stability, whether whether they you know can play well enough or not is 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 a different question. What about your first impressions about Patrick Kane just as the person? I mean, like, 
I, I feel like you and I have been talking about it. We've written so much about him. He's finally here, at least in my book, his first press conference. And then just what I've seen from the first practice day, he gets it when it comes to the whole media game. I feel like I've also heard that he's a hockey nut, which is why I was so impressed with how much he knew about the Rangers in general, the way he rattled off names and and the context of the players and things like that. So just what are your first impressions of, of Patrick Kane as the person as well? Well, you know what, what you know what uh, what strikes me is how deferential he's been. And I understand, you know, he's he's coming into a a place that he referenced yesterday uh has been built by the Criders, the Zabanajads, the the Adam Foxes, who have only you know, and, and the Jacob Trubas, and um, so he doesn't want to come in and bigfoot anybody. He doesn't. He's not walking in saying I'm Patrick Kane. In fact, he's walking in saying I'm this guy. And I think there needs to be, as I wrote in Wednesday's paper, right today's paper. Um, that there needs to be a little bit of Reggie Jackson in him who has brought his start in New York. You know, he's, he's Patrick Kane, you know, they're, you know, they didn't disrupt their team for two weeks to bring in a, a, you know, a middle six guy or, you know, a bottom six guy to fit in. Um, of course he has to fit in, but you know, he, he needs to, I think, you know, be a little more assertive, but it's a, it's going to be a process. I understand that too. He's not walking in and, He's 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 not kicking anyone out of their seat on the bus or, you know, telling somebody where to sit on the plane. You know, again, this will be his first road trip with the team. He's taken 16 years of road trips with the Chicago Blackhawks where he knows where he sits. You know, he knows what time to be. You know, he knows what time is on time and what time is. Um, So this is going to be, you know, an adjustment period for him, too. But I think being on the road will be good for him. He'll spend a little bit of time with um with his teammates and in social settings and practices and but he's a very he's, he's a very impressive uh very impressive person kind of low kind of low-key personality right i feel like we have to appreciate the fact that this is patrick kane walking into the rangers locker room and the fact that he's given off this demeanor of not wanting to step on anybody's toes it's artemi panarin's team you know the whole thing about how he talked about ryan carpenter shot him a text you know you better be worth it i'm sitting on the bench tonight i just feel like it's very raw and real and i feel like he's very self-aware that type of of the type of situation he's walking into, which I feel like you, you almost have to appreciate that because I feel like that's kind of rare. I think I you, yeah, I think that's that's very perceptive. I think it's perceptive on your part, and I think it's perceptive <laughs> on his part. It is, it is. All right. So getting down to some X's and O's, power play gets a nice little shake up here. And I feel like I wrote about this the other day, just in one of the off days, and I didn't write this exactly, but I almost kind of insinuated it. The players are so sick and tired about talking about the freaking power play because it's been such a headlining story for them this season because it just feels like it hasn't reached its full potential at all. It doesn't look like how it did last season. It went from having absolutely no movement, no changes, you know, stuck in stone, whatever it is, you know, etched in stone, etched in stone. No, no changes at all. And now over the last couple of weeks since the Tarasenko deal, 
now we're starting to see some movement, some changes from the coaching staff and how they view it. Um, could you just get into the changes that were made? And I guess, you know, whether you feel like the Rangers should be balancing the two units or if with the way they're built, why not just load it all up onto one unit? You know, I don't know. Well, I, I I think with the acquisition of Kane and, and Tarasenko makes it impractical to load up on one because you'll have too many talented players who don't get on. Now you you can't leave whether it's Tarasenko or you know Kreider. You know you can't leave that that player twenty five seconds or you know Patrick Kane thirty five seconds trying to wheel out of his own end, um, you know which we've seen from the second unit for you know almost three years. What's it, what's interesting to me is that they have split Fox from Kreider and Zabjad. You know and. I think that's fine. I mean, you know, I have to say that earlier in the year when when uh, at a number of practices, Dave Maloney, who, you know, is is just an invaluable resource, uh, you know, he, he just is. And the people who listen to him on the radio broadcasts or when he's when he's on television, they, they benefit from his knowledge. Um, I think he's terrific. But but Dave has been saying for months that they should split Fox. They should have put Fox on the second unit to balance it and should have maybe move Truba or Miller onto the first. And this was really for, for a couple of months now. So what, what I'm seeing is, you know, the other day when, when you're looking at Mika in the middle, you know, in the bumper, it was like, you know, what, what is this? And, and, and again, they were, they were, you know, deferring to one another. No one wants, no one on this team wants, no one on this team is selfish and no one on this team wants to be perceived as selfish. They're they're all looking for each other all the time to the point where it sometimes becomes to know, their detriment. To their detriment, yeah, right. It's detrimental. So they need to get Mika back into that left circle where where you know Kreider is going to stay with him. And now, if if you have Truba on the right point, which they had yesterday on that unit, maybe he you know he's a bigger shot. He gets the puck to the net. You know, it it maybe opens up some things, some some movement. It's okay with me. It, it, it's okay with me because um, this, as you said, is, has just been an ongoing. It, it's been like a toothache. You know, it, it just been a nagging, low grade pain all year. Um, really, after the first two weeks of the season, and you know, it's funny. The, the first two weeks, they you know they were great, and then the, the, remember San Jose came in. And here's David Quinn coaching against them. And suddenly there was pressure, pressure, pressure all over the place. Pressure at the top. They had no time. And teams picked up on that. And they, you know, and so they had to make adjustments. They they would they would go on two or three or four game streaks where they were clicking. But then they'd go for three, four, five, where there was no movement. Um, you know, everything was um, everything was going to Mika. They couldn't get into the zone. They were it, it so I think I think a fresh look is necessary, and and I think it's um, I think it's also I think it also um, allows them to be a little bit more creative now. They're they're looking at little new combinations. You know, they they might get a jolt out of this, um, and they can always go back to you know putting Fox with um, uh, Zabanajed and and Kreider. But again, you know, Tarasenko now is a weapon. They have to figure out how to integrate Tarasenko more in into the power play. So, yeah, I'm I'm all for it. Um, it was it was it was overdue. Um, Hedl back, you know, Hedl now is up again. Um, Lafreniere is playing well. It's it's interesting. 
you know, suddenly now he scored, you know, he scored a couple of power play goals in the last two weeks, his first two power play goals of his career. And there's no reason why, you know, there's no reason why he shouldn't be productive on the power play. So I like the fact that they have two units that are loaded with firepower. You're just teeing me up for my next question. I feel like the way Alexi Lafreniere has been playing lately has been pretty underrated. And maybe it's because that impact player side of him has taken some time to come out. But I've really, really liked his game lately. Just what are you seeing in general? I think he's been more involved. I think he's been more engaged. It's It, it actually has reminded me the last couple of weeks of the way he played um, the first few rounds of the playoffs last year where he was in the middle of everything and you noticed him just about every shift he was on the ice. And I, I talked to him a bit after the uh, game in Boston talking about his physicality and because that was one of, and, and his ability to grind, which was one of the um, a compliment that, that Patrick Kane paid to him and to Kako in his introductory press briefing. He talked about them and he said, you know, he, he, you know, he admires the way they grind, which is which is not um, common for players who are drafted, you know, so high, one and two. And I think that's a big part of Lafreniere's game. And and he said when I when I chatted with him in Boston, he said that he always wants to make a play. That's that's his you know that's his objective. Whenever he has a puck, he wants to make a play. But he understands that the physical element of his game is important, and he enjoys it, and he brings it. And you know, you you take a look at at what other teams in the league have done, the grit maybe teams added, the the agitators teams added. I mean, Boston added one in, in Hathaway. I mean, the whole game on Saturday, like the Rangers weren't bullied on Saturday, but there was somebody in their face all the time. And Hathaway was the guy who was in their face just about every time he was on the ice. The Rangers don't have that. So uh, they don't have that kind of a player. Barkley Goodrow can be that kind of a player at times. I mean, he's he, he he's sneaky mean, Barkley Goodrow, and and um, he plays he plays with a nasty edge. But they need more than Barkley Goodrow, and I think Lafreniere is a player who can bring that element. One thing this this spree, he's now up to thirteen goals. So his career high of nineteen that he established last year is is certainly well within reach. Rangers aren't getting any bargain on him either. I'll tell you that on, on when his contract comes up. You you know, you looked at his bad year and the silver lining was, well, you know, he's not going to be able to get X. Well, he might. And so, but but you know what? It's about now. It's it's really not about next summer at this point. It's about now. We've talked about this a little bit regarding Lafreniere. Do you feel like because that playmaking, you know, scoring first mentality that he kind of coined in juniors hasn't worked out as well at the NHL level, hasn't really been able to translate to the ice as seamlessly as a lot of people thought that he might need to rebrand himself as this kind of grinding, maybe a bit of a power forward type of player? Yeah, I don't know that I think he's going to be a power forward I, I think he can stick his nose in I think he needs to be involved that's what I think he needs to be you know he needs to be in the 50-50s he needs to win them and I and I don't think again a, a lot of this is is due to the way the Rangers are constructed with Panarin and Kreider on the top you know you're, you've got them at left wing and I think there there is going to come another time Maybe soon, if if these line combinations don't work, where the Rangers are going to have to revisit moving him up to the you know to the top line on the on the left side. I think he needs more ice time. I do. I, I you know not that he needs more ice time than he's gotten the last few games. 
but he needs a regular amount of ice time. And, and I think the fact that he's he's on the power play unit is going to be beneficial to his game. We've talked about that all the time for the last couple of years. Well, these guys are never on the power play, so that doesn't translate, or it does or doesn't, you know, translate to their five on five. You need to have touches on the power play to get a little bit of confidence, and then you bring that into your five on five game. And I, and I think now the the more prominent role Lafreniere has had on the power play is going to be a, a significant benefit to him, five on five, and and to the team in his progress there. You know, this is the end of year three for him. The Rangers need to figure out exactly what they have in him, too. And I think the more ice time, the better for Lafreniere. Um, you know, guys have, have have risen and fallen. You know, they're, they're, you know, right now we see Kako kind of losing some ice time. He hasn't played quite as well. But you have to earn it. And, um, and, and you know, I've said that all year. You said, oh, you have to earn it. Um, and Lafreniere is earning his ice time. Is the right wing experiment with Lafreniere over? You think? I think so. Yeah. Although I'll tell you what, you know, we're talking about, it's not about, it's not about this summer. It's about now. Next year, the Rangers are going to have to fill their top two right wing spots again. You know, they're going to be back in the exact same spot that they were last summer. Both of their top two right wings are pending unrestricted. No one thinks either is coming back, you know, Kane or, or Tarasenko. I think someone sent me a DM. Well, could it work if Patrick Kane took 3.5 million? Well, not happening. Um, but even that, you know, it's so, you know, they're going to be in the same spot next year looking for right wings. I kind of think Lafreniere is not going to be there. I, re- I really do. I, I, I kind of think that's over. I, I think they're going to, I think Lafreniere is going to be a top six left wing for the Rangers um, after this, you know, maybe during this season, but, but going forward, I, I don't think he's going to be a third line player anymore. Yeah. Or Temi once joked to me, I was asking him about about Alexi, and he was like, "Well, there's kind of no room <laughs> there, isn't there?" Right? I know. And, kinda, and and again, you know, <laughs> Brennan Offman, left wing. Will Cooley, left wing. It, it's like I don't know. It's 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 as if a baseball team has you know seven first basemen. <laughs> you know, they and they all need to play, and they can't. They're gonna have to figure out how you know how to move left wings to right wings. It's you know, it's it's uh, it's it's an odd. You know, it's an odd construction that that they've fallen into. But the best player was Lafreniere. What are you going to do? You're not going to take, you know, you're not going to take him because he played the left. And and I think there was a, and I remember writing about it that summer. What are they going to do? Are they going to stack their left wings or which one's going to move to the right? And I, you know, again, not having seen Lafreniere as a junior, I kind of presumed that it would be somewhat easy for him to move to the right because he was so young. You know, I mean, you know, people say, well, Kreider, but he, Chris Kreider played 10 years in the NHL as a left wing, you know, his entire life. And guys move from left to right all the time. For whatever reason, though, it seems to be an issue for Lafreniere. And so it, it's pro- it's time to stop trying to, you know, pound the square peg into the, into the round hole. They need to find a right wing. Follow Larry Brooks on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy. Read his stories of the Post and NYPost.com. Larry, we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a safe flight, Molly. Excited to be here and uh, excited to uh, get better and play better for my teammates. All right. We're back on Up in the Blue Seats and a long-awaited guest. We've been trying to make it work with our schedule. I blame Molly on this one. Molly will take the blame for us. But we are glad to welcome in. She does a terrific job covering the NHL at ESPN. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Emily M. Kaplan. 
It is a Jersey meets Queens here. We got two Jersey girls. We got a Queens boy. Uh, welcome, Emily Kaplan, up in the blue seats. How are you? Let's go. I feel good. I'm happy to be here. Um, yes, Molly's schedule has been difficult, but I have to say the way Molly covers the New York Rangers and the fantastic job she does, she deserves and is worth every ounce of difficulty. So thank you for your patience with me as well. But I'm glad to finally be here. Oh, I agree. I... I agree. I like that. Look that Molly, t- take a breather. She's uh she's flexing for you no, right here. Molly, I'm just telling you, since she came onto the scene covering the NHL, sorry, Molly, just like you're gonna have to deal with the Stop. <laughs> done such an incredible job. I'm just so proud to see the way she owns the beat with such confidence. Um, the way that she treats people there, people treat her. You can tell like she's a true professional and a rising star in this biz. So huge fan over here. Emily, stop it. You're gonna make me blush. It's my fellow Jersey girl. I just I'm so happy. It's, it's the Jersey thing and North Jersey too, to be clear, right? Yes, of course. There, there, there is no states. other, there's no other part of Jersey. Well, there's no, no central Jersey. That's Fugazi essential. Uh, <laughs> I don't South know what you're is... talking about. I don't, central Jersey is that All a right. thing? We don't want to insult our Central Jersey listeners, please. Let's well, not. Later. Well, the bagel debate is big because, you know, Jer- Jersey folks will say their bagels are better and you are a big bagel gal. Do you have like a Mount Rushmore and a favorite bagel place that is a must in Jersey? No, I mean, like the only reason I'm a bagel snob, honestly, is because I moved to Chicago. I was, you know, grew up in New Jersey, lived in New York and came here. And I cannot find one bagel that's not trash. Everywhere people send me, like they're called New York Bagel and Bialy. And like I go and I'm like, this is absolute garbage. So you're lying. (laughs) No, exactly. And so the only good bagels are the ones that are in my freezer that I'll bring back from New Jersey or New York that are sliced. I throw them in the oven. Everything bagel with cream cheese, bacon, egg and cheese. If I've had a night before and need a little bit of a pick me up the next day, uh, that's my go to. Well, that's a perfect transition, you know, as a former Jersey girl, but then you've been in Chicago since 2016. So also getting into a different sports scene. And obviously now we have one of Chicago's, probably one of their Mount Rushmore athletes, Patrick Kane. I'm just curious from your years living in Chicago, what have been your impressions of what Patrick Kane means to the city of Chicago? Oh man. I mean, my de- I'm 31. And so my friends and the kids that I hang out with, I call them kids, I call everyone kids, were all huge Blackhawks fans when they were winning Stanley Cup. And a lot of them were bandwagon fans. I couldn't watch them growing up because of the blackouts. And then all of a sudden this team was awesome. And Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze were their heroes. They were coming up at an age where like they were coming of age. They were drinking at the bars that people their age were drinking at. They were super accessible. And then they won championships and were just dominant on the ice. Um, The thing about Patrick is he took so much pride in being a Blackhawk. He loved it. Um, This city meant so much to him, to his family. His dad is ubiquitous at the rink. These are some of the reasons why it was really emotional and really challenging for him to have to say, I'm going to walk away. Um, You know, he had his reasons of why he did and he wanted to go to his preferred destination. But all of this has been super emotional to him. And I also just found, you know, covering the team and being around the team, that sometimes the public perception of Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane and privately what they were like were completely opposite. Everyone thought of Jonathan Taze as Captain Sirius, right? That was actually Patrick Kane. And especially over the last seven years, um, his life is going to the rink 
going home at night and thinking about the rink. Um, you know, he was really cutting edge when it came to ditching body weights before his age 30 season. I mean, ditching weights. He's only doing body weight movements, mobility, flexibility, super conscious of what he puts into his body. Really, really big nerd of the game. Like he was a guy that would go up to a morning skate and could ask him about any single player in the league, any play in the league, and he would know about it. Um, and so that's the guy that the Rangers are getting right now. Yeah, I was told he was a hockey nut. That was one of the big things that was told He's, about him. It's almost like a savant even. Like he can recall plays and he can recall games from like years in the past. Um, It's just what he lives and breathes. We got to love that. Doing a bit of a trade deadline review. Did what the Rangers, what did what the Rangers do impress you or because every other team in the East got their own big name guys, it just kind of blended in or was the Tarasenko and Kane deals and bringing Mott back what did you think about that in general for the Rangers? Even in a year where I felt like the entire league was going bold, what the Rangers did stood out. Um, I mean, look, you had like the Chicago Blackhawks and St. Louis Blues rivalries in the 2010s were insane. And the two biggest stars were Patrick Kane and Vladimir Tarasenko. And you're bringing them both to one team, already one of the most skilled teams in the league. Like that's insane. You know, I think there are other areas that Chris Drury might have wanted to add. He maybe said, OK, maybe we want a little more toughness. Maybe they want to add more on D. Um, but the truth is when the greatest American player of all time who is still operating at quite a high level, wants to come to your team, you got to figure out a way to make it happen. Um, so I'm super impressed by the way that they were able to make it happen. I know that they've been paying for it with a little bit of uh, salary cap hell right now, an emergency call up uh, a drama. But I think in the end, it'll be worth it just to excite the fans to try to ride this momentum and see if you can win in the NHL with really what is a super team. Yeah, the Rangers cap situation right now, I don't think they can afford a bagel in New Jersey. At this <laughs> bacon, egg and cheese. It's gotten to that point there. They're pinching pennies. Getting to ESPN, Emily, you know, you come from SI, the Globe, AP, Philadelphia Inquirer. You know, people say, oh, you want to work at ESPN one day. Well, you're there now. What is it like the criticism that people because you're at a job where people will criticize your every question. You may only have three questions. You'll get tweets. You'll get emails. What is it like going through that criticism and how do you overcome and try to avoid the tweets and the texts and the emails and all that? Yeah, being on a, a, a very visible stage on TV was not something that you can really prepare for. And working for ESPN, you realize like, it's the sports media giant in this country. It's on at every sports bar. It's on at every airport, at the gym, la di lada. And um, people are waiting for you to fail. And, and people like to make fun of you. And they like to, you know, wait for that one moment where they can critique you. Um, and you've got to develop thick skin. And, you know, that was something that I definitely went through in my rookie season, being on TV, being part of national broadcast when I never really had that experience before, um, being part of live game coverage. And now that I'm in year two, I think the biggest thing for me is just being confident and comfortable in myself. And I know that I add value. I feel really good about my style and what I bring to the game broadcast and how it's different than women or men who have done it before me. But I really like the way that I do things um, and, you know, getting encouragement from the people who matter. And for me, that's the people that I cover, the players, the coaches, the GMs, making sure they think that I'm covering them fairly. And when I get feedback from them, it means a lot more um, than a lot of other people, but then also fans. And, you know, it, it's, you know, we're here to serve the fans. That's ESPN's mantra. And I want to make sure that they're getting something out of it. So I always think of it as I'm in this position of privilege, especially when I'm between the benches or ringside. I see things, I hear things, I get access to talk to people that nobody else can. And if I can bring that and bring the viewers closer to the game, um, then I feel like I'm doing my job. 
to put a bit of bit of a positive spin on it, what would you say is your craziest or funniest story from being between the benches or a mid-game interview with a coach or a post-game interview with a player? What would you say sticks out as one of your favorite memories? Uh, there's some great ones. I mean, being between the benches, like I'll say it a million times, but you have such a bigger appreciation for the skill, the speed, the physicality of the game, but also just kind of uh, the humanity in the game and just like how silly and fun it can be. And the season is such a grind for these guys. And as intense as they are on the ice, like during commercial breaks, like they're always chirping each other. They're, they're having fun conversations about golf. Sometimes the chirps just like crack me up because they literally sound like 12 year old boys out there. Like it was once last year, I've told the story a couple of times, but like, it was like, it was Matt Barzell and Kirby Dock. And like, you're annoying. No, you're annoying. No, look in the mirror. And uh, the line up to them. And it was just like, yo guys you're worse than my kids at home so those type of moments always crack me up because as intense as the game can get um you know you realize that it's human beings and it's silly and emotions can get the best of us and we're all just out there to have fun because sports is inherently a game i love that i feel like that's so matt barzell (laughs) it was quite on brand for both of them (laughs) um going back to the trade deadline i guess what would you say was your favorite trade or which team made your favorite moves of this year's trade deadline? I, I love the Rangers in the sense that I'm a big proponent in hockey. Like we grow the sport through storytelling. And that was our big thing at ESPN. We sold it to them. Um, we want characters in the game. We sit in the NFL, and the NBA all the time. Hockey, because it's such a deferential sport, you know, the guys don't even use a pronoun I. They say we or you. So to see a player like Patrick Kane exercise his power and wield that power and it feels like kind of you know this power player empowerment movement that we've been getting hints of um i love the fact that he absolutely went out and did it and did the damn thing and got to where he wanted to go so i thought that was super cool i also love what the bruins did though i mean like they basically were like we are the best team in the league and we don't care we're gonna get even better and get your favorite team's players and they're gonna fit in like bruins and we're probably gonna make them take a hometown discount and we'll stay and we'll stay good for a really long time so if i were everyone else in the east i'd be super scared about that can the rangers take down the bruins because they haven't yet this year can you see them doing it come playoff time sure i mean anything can happen come playoff time and that's why we love the sport and you know the things always that comes down to is goaltending when it comes to the playoffs. And if Igor Shostarkin plays like he did last year, he can shut down any team in this league. That said, the Bruins have had damn good goaltending this year. And Linus Olmark probably should win the Vezina. And Jeremy Swayman is quite capable as a 1B. Um, they just don't have the experience in the playoffs yet. Now, Igor Shostarkin has playoff experience, right? He's been to a conference finals. He knows what it takes. So I think it would come down to that. But Overall, I just do look at the Bruins as a little bit of a deeper team. They've got four lines that they can roll out. Um, They're strong in so many areas. I think it would be a fantastic series, and I really hope that we do get it. I feel like they're just operating on a different level. I mean, they are just, it's every cliche, clicking on all cylinders, just absolutely playing as one cohesive unit. I was so impressed when I was watching them the other night. Yeah, because the thing about them is they were a really good defensive team and their play without the puck was great last year. And then Jim Montgomery comes in is like, okay, what we need is like to open up the offense. And so all of the drills that he set up for them the first few weeks of this season were just puck on the guy's sticks all the time and they were loving it and having fun and then all of a sudden it's like okay you have their defensive structure and now you're opening up and seeing them score all of these goals. There's like the win one for Patrice Bergeron vibe and there's no better culture in the league, I think, than what the Bruins have established in their locker room. It comes back to Zidane Chara. He never called them rookies. He calls them first-year players. Everyone's included. They play for each other. Like, they're a damn good team. 
Montgomery's got to get coach of the year. I feel like especially starting the year off the way that they did with the injuries that they had, the way that their lineup looked, and the fact that they still came like got shot out of a gun to, to start the season. I feel like it's got to be his, it's right? It's a weird award, and I don't vote for it. I'm pretty sure it's the GMs that vote for it. But for me, it's like I would always take the team that like nobody expected and then did something like completely unexpected. And I do think that is the Bruins. I do feel like often it's like, let's just go to the person who's just like achieved the most. Like John Cooper went it a lot and a lot. Lindy Ruff deserves a lot of credit. I think there's a lot of teams that like we literally expected nothing of. And it's like, holy cow, look at where they're at now. But Uh, Jim Montgomery probably will win it. And I cannot say he's undeserving. Did you feel like this actual trade deadline day was calmer than usual? Because it did to me. Obviously, there was so many trades that were made up leading up to the day. But the actual day, and granted, this is also just because Larry and I were taking a casual stroll drive to Boston, not not having to worry about the Rangers doing anything of substance. And I know that wasn't the norm for everybody else in the NHL. But just how did you see it as someone covering it all? By the way, we talk about like dynamic duos in the league. You and Larry are like, up there for me. I love seeing you guys together, interact together. We're um, like butt buddies. <laughs> it's adorable. Um, it's the buddy comedy we all deserve. But, you know, like we had a three hour trade deadline special. We're not psycho like TSN. We did not get on the air at 8 a.m. Um, That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it was with me, Ray Ferraro, Weeksy, and Bucci. And, like, Ray was, like, all, just like, you know, what are we going to talk about? What are the topics? And it's like, Ray, we're just going to have, like, a three-hour podcast about what's going on in the league. Um, you know, there was, like, the Kulikov trade. There was, like, a couple small things here and there. But really, it did feel uneventful. And this year, in general, just felt super unique because all the GMs were crying poor all year, right? Like, oh, the salary cap is stagnant. No one's going to be able to do anything dollar in, dollar out. And then all of a sudden I'm like, dude, you guys all went ham this year. Like what gives? I think it's because it started so early because there were so many big marquee names on the market. People wanted to make sure that they weren't left out. It all started with the Islanders and Bo Horvat. And then after that, you know, Tarasenko goes pretty soon after. And you got all of these big blockbuster trades that by the time we did get to like Wednesday or Thursday of the week, you're like, there's nobody left. 100%. I guess my last question to you would be, and I always like to do this with national guests, who is your Stanley Cup pick right right now, right at this moment? I know it's tough. And I'll give you even some leniency if you want. You could just say what the matchup is going to be. What you think Thank you. I, I kind. You're, you know, you're welcome. Because I hate when people do that to me. I'm the same way. I hate it, but it's it's for a national you know, reporter, sorry. <laughs> oh. You know, I'll start in the West. Um, you know, before the year, I was like, this is Colorado's to lose. I just feel like with how many injuries they have had, it's catching up to them. Um, and, you know, we don't really know when Gabe Landis God's going to come back, at what capacity. They didn't really do at that much of the deadline. Like, Lars Eller is a decent pickup. I love the Oilers. I think the Oilers, as long as their goaltending holds up, and Stuart Skinner right now looks like he could be the real thing, um, they deserve to be in the final. Also, side note, and this is just like, total inside baseball but it's turner year to cover the stanley cup final you get way better ratings when it's a u.s team so we'll give them the oilers this year uh, you guys can have the canadian matchup um and and that brutal travel uh as for the east i mean it's hard not to pick the bruins in the stanley cup final i really love the hurricanes i love the way they look you know i i think they are as complete of a team as the bruins and just don't get enough credit um but i do think that the bruins like we said, there's something special this vibe. So Bruins Oilers, we'll see what happens. All righty. Well, Emily Kaplan, you can catch her on ESPN. She'll be, she's prepping right now for Around the Horn. You can see her on Around the Horn. Uh, what is that at five o'clock? I forget five thirty. Five o'clock Eastern. Eastern. Yeah, it's my um favorite show to do, but it's like also the most frustrating story to do show to do because I you know cover hockey and I'm inundated in hockey and I'm like. 
holy cow, like the Warriors, like how am I going to talk about the Warriors? It's fun though, because you can just give takes, right? Like I don't have to see these guys the next day. Like I can get as spicy as I want. And then every once in a while, you get Tony D'Angelo in the showdown. So we'll see what happens. Just say this, Knicks will win the NBA Finals, the New York Mets will win the World Series, and everyone will love you. That's all you got to say. You'll make me happy. You'll make New Yorkers happy. Uh, bring you back to your tri-state roots. It, it, are you getting used to Chicago now? Is the because uh, the pizza is nowhere near as good. Let's just let's just keep it real. No, I mean it's a different breed. Like deep dish is like a casserole. Like if you want casserole, you go for deep dish pizza. You know, I moved here from New York, and I was like, I'll give it a year or two, and if I hate it, I'll move back. And I just love it. It's super livable. With you know my job and how much travel I do, it's crazy convenient. Like my friends here, like the neighborhood vibe. But every time I do go back to New York, and I'm grateful to have so many Rangers games, I'm like. There's certain things that just don't quite compare. Nothing like the garden. Well, Emily Kaplan, we hope to see you in the playoffs at the garden and uh, we'll share a bagel together. Thanks for coming on. Oh, no, we'll each get our own bagel, but we'll have them together. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. You know, they'll get it together, but uh, it wasn't good tonight. There was too many turnovers, not just by them, but there was a lot of guys. Alrighty, Molly, happy International Women's Day as we record this on Wednesday. Thanks to Emily Kaplan for joining us in episode 116 of Up in the Blue Seats, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Andrew Hartz and the intern Josh Crawford for helping me produce the show. And thanks to Emily Kaplan from ESPN for joining us. Make sure you catch up on all old episodes by subscribing to Up in the Blue Seats on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get podcasts. And if you're watching right now on New York Post Sports YouTube, you can find us there. Go to the Up in the Blue Seats podcast playlist. You can watch full episodes. Give us that thumbs up and comment below your thoughts on the show. Follow us on Twitter at Molly Walker, two E's, two R's, and at Jake Brown Radio. Molly, you know, I think Drake has rapped about Budokan. And uh, you went to Budokan. Is it, does it live up to the hype of being in a rap song because when you're in a rap song i expect it to be bougie i expect it to be top shelf food what do you think of budokan well it's really funny that you say that because they were playing drake when we arrived at budokan yeah so we went there for my birthday i mean it is bougie there is no other word to describe it those high ceilings those massive chandeliers it's a whole vibe in there and uh that's that was for my birthday dinner and it was it, it fit the occasion that's for sure i still have to make a trip there because i've i've seen people post it i've heard about it in rap songs so i will be going there soon your birthday is th- is it this friday friday yeah wow it's coming up you'll be in buffalo man can you can you pick a worse place to spend your damn birthday i mean come on guys my first birthday on the beat was in st louis and my second one is going to be buffalo it's a pretty pretty rough combination of cities at least you got barbecue you went from ribs to wings in uh in in a year i think i think i found the only rooftop bar into in the entire state of missouri when i went to (laughs) st louis for my birthday last year but that's okay because it was a great bar and we had a great time rooftop bars in buffalo are igloos actually you'll freeze your ass off up there so we'll avoid that at all costs well Happy birthday, Molly. Congrats on health insurance at uh, your age. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, I'm pretty proud of myself. I've been on my own insurance since I started working at the Post. So um, humble flex. (laughs) Your mom is very happy about that. Well, happy birthday, Molly. Enjoy. And uh, we'll see you next week. For Molly Walker, Andrew Hartz, I'm Jake Brown. Thanks to Larry Brooks. Thanks to Emily Kaplan. We'll be back next week. We're on the final stretch, the last month before playoff hockey. We'll take you through it all right here on Up in the Blue Seats. We'll catch you next time.